wondered how to train an elephant? Ever given it any thought? I'm talking about those nine to 12,000 pound pachyderms. Well, lucky for you, I actually wanted to find out how you train an elephant, and this is how you do it. Uh, if, you, if it's a wild elephant, you have to get it as young as possible. So it's a, basically you're tearing a little baby <laughs> elephant away from its family. But they, yeah, I know it's, it's kind of rough, so kids, earmuffs. Um, so they basically take the back leg of the elephant and they tie it to a tree so it can't move. And, and it struggles and it tries to break free and it, it exhausts itself. It exhausts itself trying to break free from this tree that it's tied to. Well, eventually the elephant stops trying and then it kind of graduates to the next step where in adolescence they're... They take a giant stake and drive it into the ground and basically put like a dog collar on this elephant with a chain tied to this uh, stake where, again, it can try all it wants to. It has a little bit more room to move, but it can try all it wants to, but it can't go anywhere. So by the time it's out of adolescence and it's a full-grown elephant, all it needs is a rope around its neck to stay in one spot because once that elephant feels the tug on its neck, it already knows that, well, I can't go anywhere, so why fight it? See, what the elephant doesn't realize is that uh, the size and the strength of itself. And if it went just a little bit further, pushed a little bit harder, that it would break through that chain or that rope. See, you and I, church, we're a lot like these elephants, still thinking we're chained down to or tied to our old lives not realizing the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. That for those who call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who confess that with their mouth, believe it in their hearts, you've been freed of this chain. You've been let loose. And this is exactly what these first three chapters in Ephesians talks about. It talks about our freedom in Christ. It unpacks, Paul unpacks these deep little theolo- theological nuggets for us. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Remember, in one chapter 1, verse 5, we're adopted into God's family. That means we can't get out. God will not disown you. We have been made alive in Christ. Chapter 2, 4 through 5. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is not by God, it is only by God's grace that we have been saved. And then Paul kind of unpacks this great mystery, God's great mystery revealed, 3.12. Because of Christ. And our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Isn't that comforting? Doesn't that make you feel good? I know it's not all about feeling good, but that just makes me feel good. See, church, you are no longer tied to your old self. You're no longer tethered to or anchored down to that old self. You You are tied to and anchored to the lover of your soul. When you call upon Christ, the one who paid the price once and for all. You see, it's all because of Christ and what he's done. It's like Blake said last week, that this, this, this chapter three going into four, it's the hinge pin 
of Ephesians. See, it's when we cross the bridge between belief to behavior, when we go from theology to practical application. When we turn to 4, chapter 4 in just a minute, here we look at, well, who I am in Jesus, but now it becomes how I live in Jesus. See, we'll see in chapter 5 that we're supposed to be imitators, mimes of Christ. Little, what do you think the word Christian means? Christian, little Christ, basically. That's what we're called to be. See, we go from doctrine to doing. How we conduct ourselves, church, does matter on an individual basis and a corporate basis. Let's open the scriptures this morning to Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Now, I read the NIV just because that's the Bible I have, but I was, uh, thank God for the internet. I like the NLT version. It really, it says, therefore, and therefore is a word like, okay, you've learned all this stuff. This, is, this has all been unpacked for you. Therefore, it's time to do. That's what Paul's saying here. So it says this, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and patient, or gentle, excuse me. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have you guys ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Maybe a few. If you haven't, this is a spoiler alert. Okay? It's like the Titanic, it sinks. Saving Private Ryan. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, Ryan doesn't die. Uh, so, basically, the movie is what it says it is. It's Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks' character, he's a captain in the uh, Army Rangers, and he's sent with this task of going and grabbing Private Ryan. He's over, overseas, World War II is going on, and he's fighting um, in Europe. And, and Tom Hanks' character, uh, Captain Miller, is sent to go basically take a bunch of men and, and bring him back because he's now the last... Uh, basically heir to his family, heir to his family because uh, uh, all his brothers passed away in the war. So, uh, th- I mean, they go through hell and back, basically, to, to get this, uh, this kid, Private Ryan, and they, they find him, and they're going through, and it's the last battle, the last scene. They've just got to hold this bridge, and there's reinforcements coming. They're, it's just, just got to hold it a little bit longer. And Tom Hanks' character is, is trying to blow this bridge up, and he gets, you know, hit with a mortar, and he's, his bell is rung, and he's kind of walking around, and he gets his senses, and then all of a sudden, he gets shot right in the chest. So he gets laid out, gives his life to save this kid, Private Ryan. And as, as Private Ryan comes, uh, you know, reinforcements come in, and, and, and all is well. There's like a peace, you know, about everything, because, wow, every, everything's going to be okay. Except for Tom Hanks there, he's sitting, bleeding out, and, and, and Private Ryan comes up to him, and, and Tom Hanks grabs him and pulls him in really tight. 
He says, earn it. Earn this. And he passes away. Scene then fades to uh, Private Ryan, which is Matt Damon as, as an old man surrounded by his, uh, his whole family, his wife, his kids, his grandkids, and they're, they're at the cemetery uh, where Captain Miller, Miller is buried. And he's just staring at this cross that has, uh, you know, Captain Miller's name on it. And he's just thinking, and he's going, <sighs> gets up, and his wife says, what's going on? And he says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've led a good life that's worthy. See, church, just like Private Ryan, we've got to ask ourselves the same question. Are we living a life worthy of the calling of the one who died for us? And that's our first fill-in because we are called to lead a life worthy of our calling. Paul says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Christ not only calls us to salvation, church, but to live out our lives in a manner worthy of that position, now, salvation can't be earned. We see that in 2.5 where, where it says, For it is by God's grace we have been saved. But our lives should be different because of that salvation. Our lives should be a little bit different. Not a little bit, a lot of bit different, really. I mean, come on. It's a whole 180 at that point of when you realize, Wow, Jesus is Lord. Jesus did die for my sins. He, he rose from, he conquered the grave. We've got to ask ourselves, are, are we living lives worthy of this? We should be a little bit different, shouldn't we? And all we say and all we do and how we post on Facebook or what we pin on Pinterest or like or tweet. I've seen some people's tweets that I know are Christians and I look at it and say, that's not very Christ-like. That's why I don't tweet, by the way, so you can't pin that on me. <laughs> Because I have a hard enough time keeping my mouth shut without putting it on the internet. Um, it's a true story. But in all reality, we should. Uh, you know, paint it on your door frames. Tattoo it on your forehead. Man, we got to live different. we got to be different. We have got to live a life worthy of our calling. And it's not just... A life worth calling, a life worthy of calling. It's just, how, how do you do that then? How, how do we go from, well, how do you live a life worthy of the calling? Well, we can't be haughty. We can't be arrogant. Because that, that kind of is opposite of who Jesus is, isn't it? So, we're actually supposed to be the polar opposite of that. If we are to live a life worthy of our calling, we need to act more like Christ. Amen? So, how is that possible? Well, Right there in verse 2. We are called to be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. That's your next fill-in. We are called to be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. The NIV says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I find it very interesting the way Paul writes these words in the order he puts them in. Humble, gentle, then patient. It's almost as if one's a stepping stone to the other that we kind of have to humble ourselves before we can 
actually be gentle with others and then in turn be patient. Um, be completely humble. And see, this implies to me that we shouldn't settle for somewhat humble or, well, he's kind of humble. But that this should be a complete makeover of our humility that we need to dive completely in. It's not just, well, I'll be humble here, but, well, this over here, God, this is mine. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, because I'm really good at this. I do that well. So people need to know that. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> in fact, that's complete opposite. We need a complete makeover of our attitudes. Like the humble Jesus, we should not push for power or put others uh, and put others before ourselves, not put ourselves before others. Gentleness. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit and nearly impossible to be without first humbling yourself. Amen? It's hard to be gentle with people when your uh, head's up in the clouds. Uh, a gentle person is one who doesn't need to dominate others. Is a person who will respond to people and not react. Did you hear that? A gentle person will respond to somebody and not react to them. Too often, if I'm not humbling myself, I can't be gentle with people. And then I tend to react to a situation instead of responding to it in a grace-filled manner. With humility, with gentleness. Does that make sense? Make every effort to keep yourselves humble and gentle. But the NLT says be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. <laughs> Patience is a frustrating thing, amen? Yeah. I am tested daily. And boy, when you pray for it, it's a, uh, yeah, it's like a muscle. If you don't go to the gym, it gets emaciated, it gets weak. But when you do, when you exercise, well, anyway, you, you get the point. <laughs> See, we have to make allowance for each other's faults. Because we all have faults our own. And if you don't think you have faults, we found one for you. Okay? Not me. I don't have faults. Well, there you go. There's your fault. Bingo. We got one for you. <laughs> See, this word patience that Paul uses translates to be this. Steadfast or long-suffering. This means it is not a one-shot deal. It is not a one-time, I'll give you patience, but after that, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. See, this is the kind of patience that keeps going on and never gives up on someone. We cannot give up on each other, church. We have got to be patient with each other in humility and gentleness. All three of these qualities are active. They're not passive qualities. So we have got to actively be pursuing humility, gentleness, so we can be patient with those around us. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's the next point. We are called to unity in Christ's church. Unity. Unity. See, church, God has given us this unity. It's our job to maintain it. This is exactly what the ESV translation says. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Is it hard to maintain things? Is it hard to keep maintenance on your car? Is it hard to uh, go to the gym, be healthy, eat right? It's more expensive to eat right than it is to eat unhealthy, amen? You have got to maintain the unity. We got to work hard at this thing because I know you guys. We're all different. I'm different, obviously. (laughs) We've got, this is the beauty of it. We've got to work hard at it. We've got to keep unity amongst each other. And guess what? This is not a luxury for us to do. This isn't something that's a mere suggestion by Paul. No, he says, I urge you, I beg you. You've got to keep the unity with your brothers and sisters. See, the unity, our unity, is a byproduct of our faith and and relationship amongst each other. The problem is, is people really don't understand this concept of unity and they uh, kind of get their own agendas and their own preferences and they go, oh yeah, well that's God's will. It's God's will for this church. See, and those preferences and agendas can tear us apart. They can divide us, church. Cause a wedge to be driven in between us. But we can't let that happen because we've got to be about not about preferences and about the principles that God has for us. A good example of this preferences above principles is where you're sitting right now. We saw a nice little video this morning of the tables and chairs. Now, I know what you're thinking. Easy there, preacher boy. Be talking about my, my, my chews and my, my pews and my tables and my chairs. But guess what? I'm so, I hate to break it to you, and maybe I, this, this might be the reason I don't come back and preach, but... It's a preference, church. It is a preference to sit in rows or at tables. I've looked, I looked this week. I looked this week through the table of contents of my Bible. And I, and I found the book of Ephesians, but I did not find the book of chairs. And it did not say, thou shalt haveth chairs in rows three cubits apart. Okay. That's the King James Version. But but really, the early church, they met wherever they could. Under trees, reclining, sitting, standing in their homes, eating together. That's what this is about. It's not that it's right or wrong. It's different. Yeah, I know. It's not necessarily traditional. But guys, it's a preference. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. Amen. (laughs) the point is is that we would what what would it look like if instead of focusing on our preferences we focused on the things that unite us that unite us together one body one spirit one hope one lord one faith one baptism one god what if we focused on that instead of chairs isn't that a good idea See, don't you think that the church universally would look drastically different if we did that? Wouldn't it look a—I mean, you couldn't even say, well, this is the old church. You would say, this is, well, okay, and wow, that's real different. You see, <laughs> this was Jesus' prayer for the future believers in John 17, 22 through 23. He said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity 
to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you hear that? I'm going to read this again. This is good. May they be brought to complete unity to what? To let the world know. It ain't about us. It's about them. It's about the unbelievers. It's about those that haven't felt the just glorious weight of Christ's love on their shoulders and in their hearts. Man, we have got to be united, not for our sake, but for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. So that when the world looks in at us, man, they don't see bickering and arguing or that's silly, that's, I'm, I'm mad at that and you did this to me and you said this behind my back. They see peace. They see unity. That's what we've got to do, church. That's our, that's our job. That's what Christ has called us to do. We're called to unity, friends. And in no way, shape, or form does that mean uniformity. Don't hear me wrong. Because this... <laughs> We were never made to be clones or fit a mold, per se. You hear that? We're not made to be clones or cookie-cutter Christians. There is not a mold that fits me, literally. Okay? Thank you, sweetheart. Uh, you, you know what? We've got to celebrate our diversity. We've got to as individuals, to maintain unity of the Spirit. We've got to celebrate our diversity. Ephesians 2.10. Remember the sweet little bookmarks you got with your thumbprint on it? It said, we are God's masterpiece. You, church, are God's masterpiece. God has made you unique, not like anyone else. And you don't find your identity in the things we do we find our identity in Christ, and that's when you really unpack the masterpiece you really are, church. If you can understand who you are in Jesus and the freedom that's there, wow, it's unstoppable. I mean, it's freeing. It's like these chains have been fallen off of you. They've been ripped off, broken off. You know, I, uh, I majored in graphic design in college and minored in studio art. So with that came a lot of art history classes. And uh, I, I, this whole idea of unity versus uniformity, diversity, uh, celebrating our diversity, it reminded me of, uh, of a lecture I once heard from a, a prof in my art history class who uh, we were doing a study on uh, the different periods. I think we did the Renaissance and then the Impressionists. And the, we were showing, the, the, the teacher was showing us that uh, like if you look at... Um, the Impressionist movement, what, what stuck out to me is, uh, there's a, a slide here, is that if you look at, at Monet's painting, you see that? See the bold brush strokes? If you can zoom in there, you can see that it's really deep paint strokes, the vibrant, deep colors. All that is is a study of light. That's a study of light and how it is seen through the eyes of Monet. And if you look at Da Vinci, who years earlier did a same study of light. Wow. You can see the contrast. You can see how realistic. It's almost photorealism. How he, how he paints. And almost you can't see the brush strokes. He, he tries to hide it. Because he wants it to look as real as possible. And have that light capture as real. And as, as fine as possible. 
See, church, we're kind of like this study. It's kind of like the same exact thing, light. Just as you and I are uniquely different from one another, and just as these paintings are so drastically different, you know what? They're the same study of light. It's the exact same study. That's that's the exact same thing between you and I. We are different, but we have to unite under the light of Christ. The one who came into darkness and set us free. Excuse me. You are uniquely different from one another. United under the same light, Jesus Christ. We have to maintain that unity of spirit. Let's celebrate our differences together with humility, gentle with one another, being patient, living lives worthy of our salvation. Not that you can earn your salvation, because let me, I just want to make that real clear. You cannot earn salvation. I know Tom Hank said, earn it, earn this, but we didn't earn anything. It was a free gift given to us, but you know what? We need to live lives worthy of that gift. And if you understand that gift, you're going to live a life different than before. Because you've been freed from the junk in your past. You've been freed from the gross person you were before Jesus. I was gross. That's just me. See, this is, this is our first step. From going to who I am in Jesus to now how I live. Because of Jesus. We do this by leading a life worthy of our calling. We do this by being completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. That same love that Christ poured out to us on the cross. And lastly, I love this. I love how it's, we have to maintain unity in God's church. And it's unity not uniformity. We celebrate our diversity, but we need to be united, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Amen? Well, that's all I got.